Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Football changed my life, like literally, and I get goosebumps. Every time I say that, I've said it a hundred times. Even though I'm not playing now, I was actually really good at that when I was younger. I, I was on like a sort of junior professional pathway. If it weren't for my, you know, ACL, then I, I would be, I would be Mia Hamm, you know, on, this, on the global stage now instead of talking to you from a head of sustainability <laughs> position. From playing football as a 10-year-old to becoming the head of sustainability for FIFA Women's World Cup this year, that's Sheila Wang and I'm Kadambri Raghukumar. Match highlights between US and Vietnam going on in the background there. And for US-born Sheila, whose parents are Vietnamese, loyalties might have been divided for that one. The FIFA World Cup this year will see more than 1.5 million attendees across New Zealand and Australia and millions more online. It's a scale that's hard to ignore for the opportunities it presents beyond the game from a sustainability perspective. It's a really interesting time that we're in because it, it, it is transitioning. You know, this, the terms are transitioning. The way we think about ourselves in the world are, is transitioning. But also the dots are connecting. And that to me is really exciting. So that is a really foundational piece of this is that environmental health means the health of us and our well-being. Since the FIFA World Cup 2014 in Brazil, the idea of football and sustainability has taken main stage with the organization, and for good reason. Sport, and in this case football, is this ecosystem, and its impact goes way beyond just the match, from social to environmental and human rights. We'll come to what that exactly looks like in this World Cup shortly, but first, Sheila describes just how the game has impacted her. Football changed my life, like literally, and I get goosebumps. Every time I say that, I've said it a hundred times, but it got me outside. You know, I, I was obese at the time, of course, um, and I had this sticker in my room that said, I'm not fat, I'm just short for my weight. But that changed my health profile, it changed my social profile. I was able to connect with people and be in mainstream and be outdoors. And so those are the two loves in one place, the outdoors, because my background is environmental sust- sustainability, and then of course, football. So. But actually getting to play the beautiful game wasn't as easy as she's making it out to seem. So my parents are refugees from Vietnam. And when they came, it was in the middle of winter. They knew no English. They came in their flip-flops, had no money. Where did they um, arrive to? To Lowell, Massachusetts in, in, in America. Cold. Very cold. <laughs> very cold. Very cold. And, um, and because they didn't have any money, we lived in I know, the four of us. So my brother, myself, my mom, my dad. We all lived in a one-bedroom apartment, um, a commission flat, uh, in what was the original woolen mills. So it, it was part of the Industrial Revolution, um, with lots of other families of cockroaches in our in our one-bedroom apartment. And um, and I think from that point, you know, the, it, I guess there's two pathways here. One was I learned 
kind of like the one pen you had was the one pen you get because, of course, there's only one bedroom for the four of us. And at the same time, culturally, because I was a girl, my my family said, you must play piano, you stay indoors. Couple that with a very unhealthy American diet because, of course, the cheap food is the, you know, the unhealthy food. And I became, you know, obese because I stayed indoors, played the piano, ate American diet. Um, but when I turned 10, I actually forged my parents' signature to play football, round ball football. So and they wouldn't let you play football? No, no, no. So you no. I was a girl. Was... I'm a Vietnamese girl. I have to play the piano. I can't play sports. Um, How did they take to it? Oh, they were not happy. <laughs> I mean, it, it takes, you know, it's hard. Change is hard. So for them, it was very unusual. Uh, I've been working in sports since then for many, many years. And they still think, they don't really understand what I do. Um, but that's okay. You know, it's it's a cultural gap. It's it's the same with everything else in my life. You know, it's a West, it was sort of straddling Western and Eastern life and culture and perspective. And, um, and I'm really grateful for it because, of course, you know, having two sides means you have a broader view of, of how people think and how people live in the world. I feel like many people experience this if they're a um, person of color in um, a predominantly white society. You know, I spent a lot of time trying to understand where and how and why. Why do people react the way they do to you? Um, why do they answer, ask you the questions they do? And I, I did explore very much, you know, identity books because that, that helped me try to academically understand. Also, couple that with, you know, being from a refugee family. And uh, I, I scrapped a lot, you know, trying to find, find a way to live better in the world. So I always tell the story of how I... I would join the math club or the biotech for young women's club because that was where they were going to give me a free meal, you know, and it wasn't because I was into math or biotech at the time. Um, and looking it, for a free meal. Yeah, looking for a free meal. Um, because, of course, you know, I was part of the lunch program and, um, you know, so grateful that, you know, cities and companies participate as a, a corporate neighbor is good citizen um, to, to contribute to those programs because I, I was a benefactor of that. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of how, as a young person living in America, it was, it was really interesting. <laughs> as an American, too, the thing that I think when, when you grow up, no, seeing people with haves and have not so disparate, you know, people really don't have it or they actually have it. A lot of people volunteer and they volu there's a lot of volunteer mentality. So I was lucky enough to you know, even though I was poor, was able to participate in a lot of programs that also gave back. And I think it came from a lot of things. You know, my grandfather, uh, who who then came over, you know, during the after the Vietnam War, uh, he started the first ever Vietnamese cultural community center. And you know, he you know he didn't speak English, but he 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 saw a need and he wanted to service the community. And I think that that helped having role models, but also opportunity and a mentality culturally, where you were encouraged to actively participate in your community. And I feel like right now what's happening is we're sort of moving in a different direction slightly because there's a lot of movement around mindfulness. And I feel mindfulness is it's separating us from that. It's making us look inward, yes, but I think it needs to be coupled with how do we look outwards at the same time. So when you consider that community-mindedness, what does sustainability in sport and the World Cup actually look like? 
Us at the tournament, one of the biggest things that I thought was um, is going to have the biggest ripple effect is what I'm calling the infrastructure intervention, which could be a tattoo one day. Um, but essentially, you know, one of the things that will create a ripple effect, because of course, when we're looking at things that we can do in the tournament, we were looking at how do we do things better than before? And the second was, um, what can we do that might be first that will help create a domino effect? And the one thing that was a requirement was that all 10 stadiums needed to achieve green building certification. So what that means is it has to be sustainably performing, you know, using water and energy better and making sure that they're um, treating their the materials scenario better so it diverts from landfill. Um, because, of course, you know, commercial buildings buildings in general and infrastructure are the largest consumers of energy. And so we have to look at uh, an opportunity in sport where we can actively participate as well. Uh, this is something that I think has so many flow-on effects because not only are you getting this space to now be sustainably performing, but it also then requires and uplifts everyone's expectations of how a sports stadium should operate and any other building should operate. Sport is an ecosystem. In other parts of the world, this is really in full flow. Um, Amsterdam Marina, for example, has a mega battery made of 146 Nissan Leaf um, batteries made into a mega one that services all the energy needs of the stadium, but also gives back to community. So people are charging them their cars and goes back into the grid. So now it's plus, Incredible. plus, plus. Yeah, sport can actually become a positive contributor to a clean community and clean economy. When you think of the sheer size of the football ecosystem, there are obviously countless direct and indirect impacts on the environment. But what about social inclusion and reaching into communities for more involvement? Considering New Zealand's rugby obsession, football is still up against some challenges when it comes to getting that community involvement going. I think it's, um, for football, it will be cultural. You know, rugby is first in, in this country. Uh, so culturally, you know, it's not on the news, it's not in, in vision, it's, there's, you know, lots of, I guess, visual cues to create a culture and a momentum around it. But with this, I think it's starting to get on top of mind. And I'm, I am honestly amazed, amazed. We have so many volunteers, right? And um, they come out of the woodwork, you know, for the drivers to whoever. And I was thinking, where have you been? You know, I didn't know there were so many football fans. So I'm sure there's some secretly football-loving people who maybe didn't feel confident enough to have that conversation. Maybe this tournament will get them out of the woodwork even more and go, hey, did you know I like football? You know, that kind of thing. So I, I think it's cultural, um, but it will take, I think this will be a big interjection, and I'm sure it'll overcome that challenge of, of not having that culture supporting it or encouraging it. I'm living proof that that this this effect, the, the, the Women's World Cup effect, will have a real positive impact because that was the tipping point for me. Seeing women play sports when I was 10, I was just I'm like amazed, you know, look at this, these women doing amazing things. And on the world stage, you know, and at the time there weren't a lot of other role models in a, and with women doing some really great things at a global stage. Just imagine, you know, I'm very old. <laughs> um, and then, you know, that then has created a wave of, of young girls playing the sport and, and becoming women in the world. And here, um, I can say in Australia and Aotearoa, New Zealand, more so in Australia, football is the most played sport at a community level. 
And uh, I think having the visibility and the interest and excitement of of these international teams here on ground and that we're hosting them, it, it will do some great things. And even if it's not football, hope, hoping it's football, but even if it isn't, it will give all the girls some thoughts about how they can actively participate. It's the first time the Women's World Cup has seen 32 teams participate, so the tide's definitely looking like it's turning. But obviously with that, the responsibility to install some solid sustainability practices is also massive. Sport really, really, really needs to have a, I almost feel like an existential conversation with itself sometimes to say and reflect on the fact that they do have this role and they do have this opportunity to be a leader in that tangle more often because they have created this momentum with hearts and minds and so much visibility. And like for this tournament, for example, two billion people watching it, it's going to be that moment where you say, what am I going to do with that moment where everyone's looking at us? Are you going to do the right thing? And utilize that visibility to, to advance some of the conversations around sustainability. Sheila Wang, Head of Sustainability for the Women's World Cup this year. My name is Kadamri Ragokumar and every week I bring you stories from all across New Zealand from people from all across the world. If you like what you hear, follow us on Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio and all the other places you get your podcasts from. You can also find The Voices podcast on the RNZ website. Today's episode was mixed by Daniel Hurley. Thanks for listening. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.